You're listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, orlandocitychurch.com. Today, lead pastor Eugene Smith will continue with our series called Jesus Is. Today, we'll be discussing what makes a true servant. A servant, a person that is focused on meeting the needs of others. A servant, a person that has a right focus about life. A servant is willing to make the sacrifices to accomplish the task. Not everyone is saved, but everyone has been served. Our scripture text comes from Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. Today's message is entitled, The Ultimate Servant. And the Bible says, Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may set one on the right hand and one on the left hand in your kingdom. She's a good Jewish mother. She wants her son to become a doctor. She, she wants her sons to, to be on the right and the left of Jesus. And Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But the set of my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those who it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased. Everyone say, ticked off. They were greatly ticked off, grieved in their spirit, frustrated, upset with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise great authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among him, you let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I want you to turn over just a couple of pages to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 42. Matthew 26 and verse number 42. And the Bible says, He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Nevertheless, your will be done. Let's pray. Father, I ask that in these next few minutes, Your Holy Spirit will prepare the heart of every person that's here. I thank You for amazing grace, great grace, that we can gather together and freely worship You I thank you for the presence of your spirit that's been here to touch our lives and the opportunity that we have, Lord, to worship you on our giving and our generosity this morning. Now, God, I ask for your blessing to be upon the hearers, that they will have spiritual ears to hear. I thank you today, God, that you are the God of great and amazing compassion and love. And I ask that you to do what only you can do in the hearts of the hearers. But God, I also pray for myself today that I would be the vessel you've created me to be. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. And I thank you that your presence is with me to boldly proclaim this message today. I ask this now, Jesus, in your wonderful and your mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. 
The title of my message this morning is, Jesus is the ultimate servant. Jesus is the ultimate servant. Everyone will be served that comes not next week, but not everyone will be saved. Everyone that comes to City Church today will be served, but not everyone will be saved. When I was a boy, when I, when I was a boy, I had a little a kid in my neighborhood. His name was Greg Thornton. And, and I don't know about you, I, I grew up in a neighborhood. I went from first to eighth grade with the same kids. From first to grade to eighth grade, I went to school with the, the same kids. And one of the kids in my neighborhood, his name was Greg Thornton. Now, Greg Thornton, he was just a, this kid. He did everything better than me. Uh, he played basketball better than me. He rode motorbikes better than me. He was better looking than me. He had, which wasn't too hard in my neighborhood, but uh, he had, he, he had uh, more girlfriends than me. I mean, he just did everything better. And, you know, there's something in us that wants to win. Isn't that right? Everybody loves to win. And he was the kind of kid that everybody wanted to hang out with. And so I, re- I remember in third grade, uh, we had a teacher. We were in the same class, and her, her name was Mrs. Hicks. Now, Mrs. Hicks was this kind of teacher that she definitely could not control her favoritism. I mean, she definitely showed favoritism. In particular, she kind of went with the wave of popularity, and she showed favoritism to Greg Thornton. Now, you know, I know third grade boys, I know you can't imagine a third grade boy doing this, but there was a row of us third grade boys that would sit in the back, and and, uh, I remember this one particular day, we decided that when she was up writing something on the chalkboard, we would shove Kleenexes up our nose and let them hang. Now, I, can't, I know you can't imagine that taking place in a, in a class of third graders, but, and then as soon as she would turn around, we'd all yank the Kleenexes out of our nose real quick. Well, she was right, and she knew something was going on because there was a lot of giggling taking place, and, and so we were shoving the Kleenexes up, uh, up our nose, and then she turned around, we'd yank them around real quick. Well, one time we got them up there, but she caught us, and she turned around real quick, and she immediately, man, she bypassed everybody else, but, I mean, she went right for me. And, you know, I mean, Greg Thornton, he got nothing, but she called me out, and she said, Eugene, actually, they called me Junior when I was a boy. They called me Junior. She said, Junior Smith, I want you to go out in the hallway. So I went walking out in the hallway, and there Mrs. Hicks met me, and she was so mad. I mean, she was so angry. She, she was like, no, this is back in the day. This is back in the day when, you know, things were a little different in school. I mean, they had a little different attitude about corporal punishment, and and they definitely felt like they had the right to apply their hands to your body. And this teacher, she took my neck and she grabbed me and she kind of just shoved me up against the wall. And then she just began to lift. And she said, don't you ever do that again. I mean, she just let me have it. And I was just, I mean, I was crying and I was terrified. And I mean, if I went home and told my mom, I'd even get in bigger trouble. Because back in that time, when if you got in trouble at school, you go home and tell your parents and you get in bigger trouble. You know what I'm talking about. So I didn't say anything to my mom, but I was terrified of Mrs. Hicks. But she definitely was a, had a teacher's pet, and that was Greg Thornton. Well, we move on to fourth grade, and in fourth grade, we had the same teacher, and her name was Mrs. Miller. But Miss Miller was a little different because in Miss Miller's class, I was the teacher's pet. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I finally, I mean, I found some favor. I don't know how it happened, but I know she liked me. And I don't know if she was good looking or not, but you know, when you're the teacher's pet, they just look good to you. And, and so, and she was good looking to me. And I mean, we'd go on field trips and she would let me ride in her car. And I mean, it was just such an honor, you know. And, 
And I knew that she really, really liked me. Well, my fourth grade year, she, she laid out a competition for the class, and it had to do with physical exercise. And she said, whoever runs the most miles at the end of the year, we have a special award for them. And they were doing some kind of physical fitness thing. And I thought, well, man, I can beat everybody in this class. And I actually, they, ha- they had it set up so you'd run around the four backstops around the school and uh, around the school playground, and that was about a quarter mile. And so that's how you could count how far you'd run. So I started running, and I found that I really enjoyed running. And so, you know, I mean, there was a kind of a competition about halfway through the years. There, there was about four or five of us. There were some girls and some guys, and we were all pretty competitive and pretty close. But about three-quarters through the year, man, I started taking off. And I started working its way out. So it was Greg Thornton and Eugene Junior Smith. And Greg Thornton and Junior Smith, and I started, I kept running. You know, I'd run before school. I'd run a, and during break. I'd run at lunch, maybe after school. I was going to win. I was going to beat Greg Thornton. So, uh, I get to the very end, the last week of school. And the last week of school, Friday night, I stay at my cousin's house, and I come down, I mean, I come down with what they thought was spinal meningitis. It was actually turned out to be encephalitis, but I got sicker than a dog. I mean, I got so sick. I mean, you know, I was limp. I had 105 fever. I was vomiting. I had all this stuff, both ends going, taking place. And I, I was terribly sick. And my parents rushed me to the hospital. I mean, and the doctors were really concerned. And I didn't know. I mean, I really didn't know what was going on. I knew it wasn't well. You know, my mom's out there praying in the hallway. And the doctors are concerned. And they have me in ICU. And the only thing that my mind could think about is that that turkey, Greg Thornton, he was going to, the last week of school, he was going to run more miles than me. And so we get that last week. I'm literally out of school the last week of school. And you know that turkey, Greg Thornton? You know what he did? I ran 336 miles my fourth grade year. Do you know how many miles Greg Thornton ran? 336 and a half. He beat me again. And I was, you know, this is back in the day when, you know, they uh, only gave a trophy for first place. You know, it, it, I mean, this was back in the day when, you know, they didn't give everybody trophies so that they could feel good. You know, I mean, we live, I, we live I'm just got to digress here, but the other, the other night, Laura and I went to Keenan's school, and he's thinking about doing wrestling, and so... They had a little parent meeting for the, all the wrestler parents, and, and the coach was up there talking, and he was talking about showers. And it was the first time that I had heard that students in high school don't take showers at school anymore. I know you guys all know that, but that was like a brand new revelation. I said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, no. I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember the, you know, the rite of manhood from 6th to 7th grade was that you had to get naked in the, the same changing room with the guys. You know, and all the, you know, that was the big, like, six to seven. Now, there were some changes going on from sixth to seventh grade, but, I mean, you were a little bit nervous, and that was your real right to manhood. And then high school, man, if you didn't take a shower, they called you stinky, and then somebody would throw you in. I mean, it was, you know, you just took showers after you did P.E. A couple guys wouldn't do it, and it didn't last long, and everybody started giving them a hard time, but they don't do that anymore. Uh, you know, and the coach is saying, you know, today, now they're afraid to get little Johnny, they're afraid to get Johnny get a cold, or little Johnny have to work too hard at P.E., so your kids all go to P.E., and they just all stand around with their hands in their pocket like this. And, and you know, it was a different day back then. They actually gave trophies for first-place winners, and they were the only ones that got it. Well, Greg Thornton, on the way home that day, Greg Thornton, uh, he brought this trophy to me, and I couldn't believe it. She, out of the goodness of her heart, she gave both of us a trophy. He, he got the trophy for 336 and a half miles, and I got a trophy for 336 miles. 
Oh, man, I give myself a big... I actually still have that trophy. 37 years later, I still have that trophy. You know, there's something in our hearts that wants preeminence. There's something in our heart that wants to win. It's natural. God put it there. It's designed by God. But the fact is today, although there's this desire within us, many times the desire and the motive becomes twisted. You see, the disciples were looking for popularity. As a matter of fact, they were really popular. If you follow this scripture, if you follow this passage in the book of Max, you'll actually find that the popularity of the disciples was very high. The crowds of people were following Jesus everywhere he went. I mean, they were, they were experiencing a wave of popularity. And they were riding the tide. You see, they had a different concept of, of what the Jewish kingdom was going to look like. What the Jewish nation was supposed to look like. And they saw it as being a political nation. They were looking to Jesus to be their Moses. They were looking to Jesus to be their King David, who would come and kick butt over the Roman uh, uh, soldiers and over the Roman institution of government and establish Israel as its rightful place and a powerful nation once again. You see, they were looking for position. They were looking for power. You see, they were looking for a crown. But Jesus was looking to the cross. You see, as a matter of fact, Mark's Gospel tells us that Jesus, like a flint, had his face set towards Jerusalem because he knew what he was going to do. He had just got through telling him. He said, guys, he said, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be tried and convicted. I'm going to be hung on a criminal's cross. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And they just didn't get it. They just didn't understand it. But Jesus, the ultimate service servant, was focused on the mission of his life. Jesus, the ultimate service was, servant, was focused on the call upon his life. Look at verses 17 through 19 with me. And the Bible says that as Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, we are going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. See, Jesus had answered the why of his life. Jesus had answered the why of his life. In your life, The what may change. What you do in life may change, but the why, why you were born, why you're on this planet, why you do what you do in serving God and worshiping Him and following His purposes and His plans for your life will never change. The what, what it looks like and how it's expressed in jobs and workplace and ministries and those kinds of things may change. But the why, why has God called you? His purpose for you has never changed. You see, it's all about purpose. It's all about purpose. And because Jesus understood his purpose, he was able to stay focused. The reason we, as individuals, will end up in the wrong bed, or steal from our company, or cheat on a test. Over 200 students this week, Last, this past week at UCF and the business major were exposed for cheating on a test. It's a national news story. I mean, it was a horrific thing. It was one of those terrible things. What had happened? They had lost focus. They had lost focus of their mission, and they were looking for an easy way out. And whenever we're looking for an easy way out of the mission, whenever we fail to understand the call, why we were created... We get distracted, we get off course, and we do things that don't honor God. 500 years ago, the Westminster Catechism defined 
the mission of man. And it says it like this. What is the chief end of man? A man's chief end is to glorify God. A man's chief end is to glorify God. You were put on this planet to bring glory to God. But the second part of it says, and to enjoy Him forever. To bring glory to God and to enjoy Him forever. Well, how do you do that? How do you glorify God in your life? You glorify God in your life by being focused on the mission for which Christ has called you to. You see, what you do with your life determines if you're living to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. You see, why do you come to church today? Why do you come to church? Why do you worship? Why do you do the things you do? Do you come to church and worship for what you can get from Jesus? I mean, is that really why you come? Because many times we come to this church and and we're looking for the perfect worship experience. We're looking for the perfect preaching experience. We're looking for the perfect church where the pastor never talks about money and somehow money miraculously just grows on trees and he goes out there and he has a magic wand and he taps the tree and he picks the money. We're looking for the perfect church where, where no one ever makes a mistake and every video is perfect. And well, I know no, we're not doing that. I'm blown into an extreme. But, but we go from church to church to church looking for the perfect experience. And what that tells me about those people is that the chief end of their life is to have a worship experience that glorifies them. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. If I can do it here, I can do it anywhere. I mean, you know, all that kind of thinking. And it permeates. It permeates the kingdom of God. But it is not new to this generation. The disciples practice the same kind of thinking. You see, their mother, she was a good Jewish mom. I mean, she was a good she was a mama grizzly. She was a mama bear. She was looking after her boys. You know, good Jewish mothers, you know what they'll say? They'll say something, my son is a doctor, or my son is a lawyer. I mean, she was looking out for her boys. She wanted them to have preeminence. You see, when we lose focus today, we become distracted from the mission from which God has called us. Jesus understood his purpose. And John, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The reason Jesus was doing the what? The reason that Jesus was focused on the cross and his mission that was set before him. He even prayed in the garden. He said, Father, if there's any other way to do this, to let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because, see, he knew that his mission in life was to save men from their sins. He knew that his purpose in life was to go to the cross and destroy Satan, to destroy sickness, to destroy sin, and to set the captive free. You see, he was focused on his mission. And because he was focused on his mission, he was able to tell the disciples, hey, guys, you're missing it. You're not going the right direction. You see, a servant seeks the master's favor. In verse number 20, the Bible says, Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Asked a favor. Servants seek the favor of their master. You can read through this whole story, and the disciples are not rebuked, they're not rebuffed, and they're not turned away because they ask this question. They're challenged. Their concept, 
their concept of preeminence, their concept of, uh, of being close to Jesus and popularity, their concept of power was all turned on its head. But they're never rebuffed. See, something inside of every one of us has a desire for greatness, has a desire for significance. There's a search in every man's life. There's a search in every woman's life to do something significant, to make a difference. And therefore, when people get into their 50s and their 60s and they haven't accomplished what they feel like when they were younger, whatever some mission or something that they felt inside them they wanted to do in the world, and they didn't do it, they just sit down and they watch television. ESPN and movies and watch their life just go away, living their life through somebody else rather than living the life that God created them, the abundant life, the life of mission, the life of blessing, the life of favor. Although it won't be easy, it won't be easy to do what Jesus called you to do. It will always be good because you'll be living out God's plan and purpose for you. Proximity, they wanted to be close on the left and on the right. They had been given power to heal the sick. They had been given power to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to preach the good news. And people were responding to their message. Listen to me today. They had spiritual power. They had spiritual power, but that wasn't enough for them. See, they were focused on the wrong kingdom. We serve in a two-kingdom world. We live in a two-kingdom world. If you're a believer today... You are first and foremost part of God's kingdom. But there's also the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our God are not the same. They have a different value system. They have a different purpose. Just this last couple of weeks, we had an election here in the state of Florida. And our soon-to-be governor-elect spent over $70 million of his own dollars. Seventy million. Everyone say $70 million. That's a lot of money. To buy, I mean, I mean, to win an election. Meg Whitman in California, who's taken one of the most broke, busted, and disgusted states in our union. A $20 billion deficit, $80 billion in the hole. One of the worst educational systems. Challenges left and right. She spent $141 million. Everyone say million. Everyone say, that's a lot of money. To try to, she tried to win. I mean, she tried, she tried to buy the election. She tried to win the election, but she ended up losing the election. Why would they do that? Why would a person, why would a person spend that kind of money? Because there's something else that they want in life. I don't know their motives. I don't know why they do what they do. I'm not here to judge them. But I just know that there's another kingdom. And the kingdom that you and I are part of, there's not all, not, not all the money in the world that you would spend on that kingdom would ever give you entrance into that kingdom. You could give 100% of your money. I mean, you could do good to people all the time. And all the money that you would give would never buy you entrance into that kingdom. You see, you must come into that kingdom by faith, through grace alone, in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's no other way into the kingdom of heaven. And that's the kingdom that we're part of. Jesus never rebuffs them. He never rebukes them. But he does challenge them. He challenges them to think different about what they're asking. You see, why are you seeking favor today? Why are you seeking God's favor? Is it to get out of a problem that you're in? To fix a marriage? To heal a disease? I mean, those are all right questions. Those are all fair things. 
But when you're coming to God like that, you're coming from the wrong perspective. You see, when we come to God, the perspective that Jesus had was that his life was to glorify God. And so when we come to God, that his desire is for us to come to him as a, a desire to glorify him in what we do. The favor of God. Seeking his favor. The guys around him got ticked off. They were grieved. Grieved in their spirit. You see, what happens when our motives get wrong? We get out of, bent out of place. And these guys want prominence. They want to be right next to Jesus in the next kingdom. And he says, you know, that kingdom is only for those who the Father has prepared. Everything you go through in this life is preparation for God's step. The next step in your life and his kingdom. Everything. Everything you experience. Every trial, every problem, every pain. I love what Rick Warren says. God loves to take your scars and turn them into stars for his glory. See, God loves to take people who feel like they're victims and turn them into great victors. God loves to take you when you're looking inwards at yourself and feel like you can't do it and you're insignificant and you have no purpose and take you from being a coward to fill you with great courage and faith to be a champion. See, that's the God that we serve. You see, the servants, the servants were seeking the favor of God, but their motive was wrong. And Jesus said in verse number 22, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you indeed will drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant, to drink the cup, to drink the cup. In Psalms chapter 23, the Bible says that you prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemy, and you anoint my head with oil and my cup. The King James says, runneth over. The biblical symbolism here is so clear to these disciples. They understand the cup. The prophet Jeremiah talked about the cup of iniquity, that it was full and ran over, that God's judgment would come. The psalmist David said that their life experience, his life experience was filled with the goodness of God, and it caused his cup to overflow. The cup that we have is our life. And Jesus said to them, can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? Can you drink of it? Jesus said to them, can you be immersed? Can you be immersed in the same water that I'm going to be immersed in? Can you you do it? Of course we can, Jesus. They had no idea what they were saying. They had no idea what they were saying. Jesus says, you can. You can drink of that cup. See, they were looking for a glass of sweet tea on a hot, sunny floor today. And what they got got was a a weak, old, stale cup of coffee. I mean, they didn't get it. They were looking for the sweet tea, and they got that cup of coffee that had been left in the pot for over a week. They didn't understand the cup that they were about to drink. As a matter of fact, when you begin to look at history, when you begin to look at history... You see that the cross is something we really don't want. We really don't want the cross. If we wanted the cross, we would easily follow. But the fact is, the cross follows us. And the way that the cross follows us is through life experiences. Maybe for you, the cross is when you are at work. And at work, you find yourself 
being ostracized by other people because, you know, you don't go to the same places that they go to after work. And so all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, you're not a team player now because you're not doing the things that the people at your job do. You know, I don't know, every, for every person, the cross is different. But the fact is today we've all been handed the cross. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And the cross that you have is the cup of life that you experience. Look at the cross that the disciples ended up taking. Simon Peter. Simon Peter being crucified upside down, finishing his life. Andrew, his brother, was crucified. James, who was alongside of Jesus, looking for preeminence, looking for preeminence, for prominence, looking for power, he was beheaded. John the Beloved, who wrote the Gospel of John in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and he died at the age of 90, completely ostracized from his family and friends. Matthew was speared to death. Bartholomew was beaten and crucified. Philip was crucified. Thomas was speared. Simon was crucified. James was stoned to death. Thaddeus was stoned stoned to death. And Judas Iscariot, well, you know his story. Suicide by hanging. You see, all these men, there was a cup that was handed them. And it was a full cup. And they didn't understand it. You see, everything in their life was about preparation for the next life. Everything that happens in your life is about preparation for the next life. Paul the Apostle said it like this. Here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. For God is preparing for his people to rule and reign with him forever. God's preparing you. Jesus, the ultimate servant, ask you, can you drink of this cup? Can you be immersed what I'm immersed in? Not only of course you can, yes you will. The moment you say yes to Jesus, the moment you say yes to the cross, the moment you say yes to him, the great exchange takes place. It's the last thing that we see about Jesus, the ultimate servant, was that he sacrificed for others. In Matthew 20, 20, 25, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and other high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're not called today. To be lords, we're called to be lovers. We're not even called to be leaders. We're called to be laborers in God's kingdom. The chief end of our life is to bring glory in everything we do, is to glorify God. Paul said whether we eat, whether we drink, whether we go to work, whether with our family, hanging out with our children, watching television, whatever we're doing, the chief end of our life is to glorify God. See, the ultimate servant... He showed us the way. He told us that the way of his life is completely different than the way of the world. You see, Jesus said, if you want to live, you must die. Jesus said, if you want to get, you must give. Jesus said, if you want victory over your enemy, you must bless those who curse you. Jesus said, if you want to pay back those who do wrong to you, do good to them. If you want to be loved, love people who don't love you. 
If you want to lead, then serve. The disciples were looking for a crown. Jesus was focused on the cross. To the throne, to the throne is by the cross. The cross. Every person here. See, God's not called us to worldly power, although some may achieve worldly power. God's not called you to preeminence, although some may achieve, may achieve preeminence. God has not called you to position, although some may find position. A couple of years ago, we had Sean Alexander come to City Church, and the year before that he came, he had been the 2005 NFL MVP. And this place was both services. At that time, we were running two services. It was packed all the way out the door. The newspaper reporter from the Orlando Sentinel came, and I remember when Sean came, the most awesome thing to me was not that we had the 2005 NFL MVP in our church on a Sunday morning. The most awesome thing was this guy's heart and his spirit. And he understood that the position that he had and the preeminence that he had, that he had a short window to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everywhere Sean went, I mean, I was with Sean. I spent, my wife and I and my boys, we spent two or three days with Sean. Everywhere he went, Sean lived the mission. Everywhere he went, he knew that his purpose on this planet, his position gave him the ability to talk to other people about Jesus. And he did it. He did it not just in public. He did it in private. He lived a life. He believed that it was his mission to raise up young men. And he had a group of young men. I mean, it was just one of these things. This guy had it in his heart to raise up other young men who had greatness inside of them, but they didn't know it. And he would reach out to other young men, and he would mentor them and pastor them all over the world. See, he understood his mission in life. He understood that he had a short moment where he would rise in, pro- uh, uh, in fame and power and, and position, but that would be gone. Today, you don't even know this name, Sean Alexander. Five years after him being the NFL MVP, people say, Sean who? Oh, yeah, that guy that used to play. You see, fame is fleeting. Prominence and power disappears. Politicians rise and politicians come. But I want you to know when you choose to follow the kingdom of God and you choose to make your life the life that glorifies the ultimate servant, our Lord Jesus Christ, you will truly find life and it will be the blessed life. And it'll be the life of abundance. And it'll be the life of favor. It'll be the life where God takes you where you can never take yourself. God will open doors for you. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. It will never be easy. See, City Church has been called to a mission. The call to serve. We serve. We don't do it perfectly. We make mistakes. We fall short. The leadership does. I make mistakes. Everybody does. But we have one heart. We are unified on the mission at this church. And that's to bring God's love to the city. We do what we call big days. This next Sunday is going to be a big day. And we're going to serve this community. We're believing that 400 families who don't normally come to this church, and some will come to this church on a regular basis, but we're believing 400 families that don't normally come to this church are going to come next week. And they're going to be served. They're not just going to get a bag, and that's good, and we're grateful. Because we believe that the mission of Christ is to give food to those who are hungry. It's part of the good news of the gospel that God's people live the generous life. We don't love money. We love people. That's why we share what we have. But they're not just going to be served earthly food. They're going to be served the bread of life. And if they take it, 
We're going to serve every person who walks at the doors next week. We're going to serve them the bread of life. We're going to tell them that Jesus is our victorious King. He's the victorious God. He loves them. We're going to declare Jesus is victor in their life. We're going to preach it boldly. But I want you to know every person is going to be served. But it's going to happen because this church says, I'm going to sacrificially do my part. I'm going to sacrificially give. Jesus sacrificially gave. He laid, he set the example for you and I to follow. I'm challenging us to do three things next week. The first thing I'm challenging you to do, I'm challenging you to take a bag. To get one of these bags, make your family part of it, get a couple. My wife and I, we've taken a couple of bags and plus we're going to give cash next week. We're asking every family to consider to give a one day offering to feed the poor. To feed people who wouldn't normally be able to feed themselves. We're partnering with a ministry called Convoy of Hope who today feeds over 45,000 people in the country of Haiti alone. Every day they feed 45,000 people. I was there to see their operation just a little over a month ago. I'm telling you, they're doing what they're saying they're doing. And as a church, we're going to give. Then I'm also going to ask you to do something else. I'm going to ask you to serve. I'm going to ask every person here to serve. We have sign-up sheets in the back, but I don't want you just to serve next week. I want you to make your life about serving other people. It's all about, it's all about emulating our King. It's about doing what God's called us to do, fulfilling that mission. Wherever we go, we bring His love. Whatever your job, whatever your responsibility in earth, there's another kingdom that you're a part of. And part of that kingdom, part of the goal of that kingdom is to bring the love of God to every man, woman, boy, and girl. So I'm asking you to do three things. I'm asking you to take it back. I'm asking you to bring cash next week. And I'm asking you to serve. I love you today. We're going to close in an anthem of worship. But I want every person to bow your heads. And maybe you're here this morning. We get this chance every Thanksgiving at City Church to serve our city. We're not looking for accolades. We're not looking for recognition of man. We're not looking for prominence with mayors and politicians. We're simply doing what Christ has commanded us to do, to be a blessing, to live our hands, live our lives open-handed. And for that, we believe that God will honor us. We believe that God will supply and meet our needs. God will supply to meet the needs of this church. God will supply and meet the needs of His people in this church. And you're here this morning, and I've talked about this Jesus, the ultimate servant, and you don't know Him. You don't know Him as your best friend. You don't know Him as your God. You haven't completely surrendered your life here uh, to Him here today. You know it. You know it deep in your heart. You know deep in your heart, your life is, isn't completely surrendered to Him. When I count to three, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Him, to pick up your cross, to choose the life that He has for you. You would pray that same prayer, not my will, God, but your will be done in my life. Thanks for listening to this message. The Ultimate Servants with Lead Pastor Eugene Smith. For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407-321-9600.